dare great things for Christ. Christ calls us to dare great things. In the marketplace, as well as in the mission field, there has never been a time like the present for the spirit of the Catholic entrepreneur. Now is the time for men and women of great courage and great vision to engage our church and our culture. Now is the time to dare great things. And here is your host as we dare great things, Father Nathan Cromley, the president and founder of the St. John Institute. For many Christians, business is a challenge. After all, it's about making a profit. It's driven by coefficients of productivity and therefore moves much more according to justice than to mercy. And yet at the same time, business is an essential part of life, as is the world of work. How does St. Paul interrelate with the world of business? And what does that teach us about our own way of looking at it? Hi, everybody. I'm so happy to have this opportunity. I just love talking about St. Paul, and I love to meditate upon just how real this guy was. I mean, this guy, this holy saint of God. And yet, boy, what, how much he shared in his world, in his time, exactly what we live today. I think it's remarkable when you read the Bible how modern the Bible actually is. We have a lot to say about it being ancient and about how different it is. But I want to underscore for you that these people were not ignoramuses. They were not underskilled. They created works of art that are unparalleled by what we do today. And their thought was perhaps even more advanced. It was very different not having modern science. But at the same time, according to their logic and their understanding, the full depth of the humanity is present there. Remember, when Christ came to the earth, it was the fullness of time, not the days of yore. And part of that modernity is that their world was very much influenced and shaped by the forces of the market, of an economy, and even you could say almost like a global economy, right? It wasn't necessarily global like we understand it today, but they were living in a time of an empire. And the empire united the individual economies of states and places and united them into a singular effort, excising taxes from the people, and with those taxes, putting them towards public works, uh, putting a, a system of law that was universalized all the way across the empire. I mean, this is a very, very much contemporaneous with what we have to do today, which is why when you look at St. Paul's interaction with the ancient world, you can learn a lot and see in his interaction at the time of the Bible uh, the same exact patterns that we face today in our families, in our society, in our marketing, in our way of moving a crowd, of our way of dealing with opposition. In our way, I mean, like, there's just so much to meditate on. And so I want to look today at how St. Paul interacted with the world of business. And so before we do that, I, I want to start us with a prayer. So in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, amen. Come, O Holy Spirit, Father of the poor, illumine the hearts of thy faithful, and enkindle in them the fire of thy love. Send forth thy Spirit, and they shall be created, and thou shalt renew the face of the earth. Let us pray. 
O God, who didst instruct the hearts of thy faithful by the light of the Holy Spirit, grant us in the same spirit to be truly wise and ever to rejoice in his consolation. Through the same Christ our Lord. Amen. St. John, pray for us. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Okay, so the first point I want to make to you is that, you know, for many Christians, and some of you sitting here today are actually have this in your mindset, business is almost like a bad word. It would be a four-letter word if it had four letters. <laughs> but, you know, it's amazing to me because I do a lot of work with young people at Eagle Eye Ministries, which is the ministry that the St. John Institute that I founded actually runs for young adults. And the more pious the young adult is, the more suspect they look at, real, at business. And I say to myself, like, this is, why is that? And I think it's obvious, right? Business runs by a coefficient of justice, and Christianity preaches all about mercy. Uh, business deals with things. Christianity seems to deal with people, right? Uh, it, it, this is a stereotype, of course, right? It's not the, it's not the case, but this is what's in the, it's in the minds of so many people. Business is about money. Uh, cr Christianity, religion is about values, spirituality, right? And, and you could keep going down the line, but there's like this dialectic that also infects a lot of us. And that's why a lot of you who are out there actually engaging in this world and trying to lead it as doctors, nurses, um, beginners of, of clubs, you know, you, whenever you're trying to do anything as a leader in today's world, you're going to run up against that kind of like temptation to say that what you're doing in practical things is somehow a betrayal of the spirit. I mean, the first time you have to fire somebody, boy, don't you feel terrible, right? We shouldn't have to fire anybody in this world, right? Or the first time that you have to turn someone down for a job because you only have one spot, it makes you feel really bad. Uh, or, or the first time you have to go towards a benefactor or a future investor instead of towards a friend because you got to move the organization forward and you only have so much time and you need to spend it with people who are going to move that organization forward for you. And, and you, you look at that and you just say, this seems like a contradiction to my religion. It's either that or if you're actually engaged in it, well, then you actually say, you know what? Religion is a contradiction to reality. Right? And then you have people that, you know, walk around, they say things like, you can't eat love. You can't eat love, right? So we're going to be hardcore about reality and then look at religion and just say, what does this have to do with anything? And how does this, and that, that opposition we have to overcome everybody because it's a fake opposition. It's true that you can't eat love, absolutely. But at the same time, without love, you, you know, you wouldn't work to eat. There's something that, that of the two where they interpenetrate and need one another. And I think that we find Saint, in St. Paul a place where those two are actually lived out in a beautiful way. And in the very beginning, we're going to see St. Paul's ex experience with business is a friendly one. And at the end, we're going to see where he challenges it. And in both, though, you, it's, a, it's amazing how much he embraces it. So, I mean, if we just dive in and start looking, the first thing that we notice about St. Paul is that it tells us that he's a tent maker. He's a tent maker by trade. So as a tradesman, he had to have skill. He had to have training. He has to have materials and he has to have a market. Right? So he has to have the materials coming in, which means that means investing, buying, planning. 
He has a workflow to create so many different tents that it's such a, a pace in order to sell them, right? And he has to deal with customer relations, refund policies, cash in hand. His, all of his expenses are up front. He's not paid until it's over. And then the customer's satisfied with it. And he had to learn all of that and all about that. And maybe that's why he finds himself actually as a student of religion in Jerusalem. <laughs> maybe he had enough of tent making and he just said, no one can make a living doing tents. So forget about it. You know, REI, they really, they really missed out. Can you imagine an REI tent made by St. Paul, you know, or the, the Walmart tent series. This is a, a St. Paul tent, you know, it's that, but that's not what happened. St. Paul instead finds himself in Jerusalem at the school of Gamaliel. And yet what he learned in that experience of making tents it's something he never forgot. And in fact, it's something that he passed on as in, not with af only with affection, but saying it's a necessity of life that must be embraced by every Christian. If you will not work, you should not eat. It says St. Paul. What does he mean by that? And how does that mix in together with the rest of the gospel? Father Nathan is producing an ongoing source of videos to form, unite, and inspire you and your family. Go to eagleeyeministries.org. That's E-A-G-L-E-E-Y-E ministries.org. And subscribe to Eagle Eye Pro. Subscribe today. Well, we all know, I mean, St. Paul, how much he loved and appreciated the world of work. Uh, he said, if you will not work, then you should not eat. He also said that when he was amongst them, they noticed that he never begged from anybody, but he lived off of the work of his own hands. And he encouraged them to do the same. I mean, St. Paul completely embraced the world of work and being a tradesman himself, he not only insisted upon it as a virtue of Christianity and as an essential aspect of Christianity, look at how much he took care of the collection that he took up for the suffering of those suffering from a famine in Jerusalem. And he took up the collection. He talked about how, oh my gosh, he counted the money. He made sure he was, he's very conscientious of everything that he has and that has been given to him. He, he's somebody who gets this world. Just look, for example, who goes into the cities, how he never disdains the rich. I love to point this out because for so many Catholics today, we look upon the rich and people say, oh my gosh, if you're rich, you're somehow or other, you know, against the poor or you're somehow or other not like Jesus who was poor. And we have to really get over that opinion, folks, because when you look at the, the, the role of those who have resources, their role was essential for Jesus Christ and his success. And it was essential for St. Paul and the success of the apostles. And that right there shows Paul's esteem and understanding for the importance of the economy. I think, think of Lydia, the seller of purple cloth in Acts chapter 17. Think of Priscilla and Aquila in Corinth in Acts chapter 18. Just, you could keep on going down the line. Jason, who hosted him at his house. Uh, or, or the fact that the Asiarchs, uh, who were the leading people of Asia were the ones that saved Paul from the mob in Acts chapter 19. You really can't make the case that St. Paul somehow or other had something against business. And, and, and yet at the same time, amazingly, the world of business seemed to have something against St. Paul. And I say that 
because in no fewer than five circumstances, the folks protest against St. Paul because of the economy. We see it in Presidian Antioch. We see it in Philippi. We see it in Thessalonica. We see it in Berea. And we see it again in Ephesus. The huge thing in Ephesus with Demetrius, the silversmith in Acts 19. If you start looking at these different cities, the same pattern emerges. It's not that people disagree with Paul's theology. It's that that theology starts to bring people of influence or power into the change that Christ makes in their life. And when change happens to those of influence and power, those around them get jealous. And that jealousy provokes terrible things for St. Paul. I mean, in Derby, for example, the crowd from Presidian Antioch that got jealous about St. Paul, who was converting the leaders of the city, it's sure to note, right? Leaders of the city, therefore people of influence. And when that happens, they, they rise up against St. Paul and they stone him. They literally drag him outside of the city and smash his brains into the ground. And then they leave him for dead. I mean, it, nobody gets stoned and then lives. Like you get stoned and then you die. And St. Paul gets up from that event and he walks back into the city and then he leaves the next day. But that experience of being stoned, why was he being stoned? It was because the leaders of the city were converting. In other words, the forces of the economy did not want to see change. When you look at Philippi, look what happens when they drag St. Paul and Philippi. I'm just going to read this to you because it's so eloquent. St. Paul ends up like freeing a, a girl who is possessed by the devil and who's a slave, therefore, of the use of the devil. He frees her, and it says in, verse, in uh, chapter 16, verse 19, but when her owners saw that their hope of gain was gone, they seized Paul and Silas and dragged them into the marketplace before the rulers. And when they had brought them to the magistrates, they said, these men are Jews and they are disturbing our city. They advocate customs that are not lawful for us as Romans to accept their practice. The crowd joined in attacking them and the magistrates tore the garments off of them and gave them orders to beat them with rods, right? Why, why did that happen? If you look at that reasoning, it's very simple. It's because these guys are going to cause Rome to reject their status in Philippi as one of the leading cities in the entire district. They don't want to upset the apple cart of the political balance that allows their economy to flourish. And you see that because when they drag him, where do they drag him? They drag him into the marketplace, right? Before the rulers. And then you see, what, what are they guilty of? They are disturbing our city. Well, Thessalonica does the same thing, right? They throw Paul in jail and all kinds of things. But in Thessalonica, the same thing happens. It says, some of them were persuaded and joined Paul and Silas. This is Acts 17, verse 4. As did a great many of the devout Greeks and not a few of the leading women. Well, there you go, right? Leading women be women of influence, women of power, women of money. But the Jews were jealous and taking some wicked men of the rabble, they formed a mob, set the city upward and attacked the house of Jason. Uh, and when they could not find them, they dragged Jason and some of the brothers before the civil authorities shouting, these men who have turned the world upside down have come here also. Again, what part of the world they turn upside down? They turned upside down the economy. They're upsetting 
the political stability that allows cities to flourish. And so but they do that just by converting hearts, by, by a new philosophy, a new way of thinking, and the people will have nothing of it. Notice that these people don't even ask, was St. Paul right? You know, they're not like, geez, let's investigate and find out if his doctrine is true. It's like, we don't have time for a new doctrine, okay? We do not have time for this. The fact is, St. Paul is upsetting the city. He's upsetting the entire world by this new doctrine, and we do not want to be upset. It's so funny because it's almost like they would rather be wrong and at peace than right and at risk. What do they have to lose? Obviously, they don't have anything to lose on the inside. What do they have to lose? It's the economy. And so they say, in, literally, they say, they've come here also and Jason's received them and they are all acting against the decrees of Caesar saying there is another king, Jesus. And the, the city authorities were disturbed when they heard these things. And when they had taken money as security from Jason and the rest, they let them go, right? So the, he goes on from there to Berea. And then, I mean, like in, in Acts 19 with Demetrius, it reaches really, it's, 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 uh, it's apogee. I mean, here you've got Demetrius clearly saying that it's because of money. In Acts 19, verse 24, he says, a man named Demetrius, a silversmith who made silver shrines of Artemis, brought no little business to the craftsmen. These he gathered together with the workmen in similar trades, and he said, Men, you know that from this business we have our wealth. And you see and hear not only in Ephesus, but in almost all of Asia, this Paul has persuaded and turned away a great many people. I don't think there's any problem with having wealth, everybody. But there's a lot of problem when wealth has you. Father Nathan has founded the St. John Institute, the MBA program that develops students into the leaders of tomorrow by giving them a missionary's heart and an entrepreneur's mind. Visit our website at stjohninstitute.org. Dare great things for Christ. It is obvious for everybody who reads the Bible, you can't go very far at all without understanding that St. Paul was a business person himself who held business people in esteem. When he went to Corinth in Acts 18, take a look where he was. He worked with his own hands for Aquila and Priscilla. They employed him. They were tent makers and there was Paul working. He didn't have a problem with this. If he was working, he was making a profit. If he was making a profit, it was so that he could live. Right? And, and as he demonstrates that respect for business, he also demonstrates a respect for the wealthy. And, and he has friends who are wealthy. And he stays at their homes. When Lydia is baptized, she takes him into her home, him and his companions. And he stays there doing exactly what Christ told his disciples to do. When you come into a town, stay at one house. If a peaceful person lives there, stay with him. Which means that they have to provide for him. And St. Paul's keenly aware of that. Okay? It's just that at the same time, Paul's preaching is disturbing. Why? Why don't businessmen seem to like St. Paul? And I'm sure many do. But why is it that consistently in the towns, it's the question of economy that gets Paul into trouble? I think the reason is obvious. And that's that the preaching of St. Paul and the preaching of the gospel is that this world is not the be-all and end-all of our human existence. 
and therefore our lives of work must not be the definitive force for our identity. It is not okay, therefore, for us to identify ourselves solely in the terms of our economic status, our social status being aligned with what we do. And we can't do that. It's obvious that it's going to be a part of our life. It's obvious that it's not some sort of great evil. But it's also obvious that in our hearts, we have to look at ourselves differently. We have to look at ourselves like God looks at us. And when God looks at us, he does not respect personages. He is not impressed by greatness. Wisdom, chapter 11. Go back and read it. He's not impressed by our greatness. He's not impressed by our success. He's looking for the depth of character. He actually says, you know what, who I approve? The humble and contrite man who trembles at my word. This is the one whom I approve. And when Our Lady, of course, was chosen by God, she was the humblest of all. It says that does God for as much, though, disrespect our labors and disrespect our gains and disrespect profit or somehow see profit as a bad thing? No, remember what Jesus says. Give unto Caesar what is Caesar's and give unto God what belongs to God. Well, giving unto Caesar what belongs to Caesar means engaging in this world. And when St. Hamabinus, who is the patron saint of the Catholic business person, was in fact uh, canonized in 1179, way back then. The Pope, when he canonized him, actually said, what he does so great is he teaches us and shows us the precepts of the Lord. Give unto Caesar what belongs to Caesar and unto God what belongs to God. And this is exactly what the principle is. Your vocation as a business leader, everybody, is to engage in business. You're, I mean, like, if you're not engaging in business, and that means having your books in order. It means having the days off for your employees that are necessary. It means paying your taxes. It means thinking through new ways to advertise your product. It means moving your inventory effectively. And that means all kinds of cost of doing business. And it's an incredible amount of organization. If you love to organize, business is the place for you. That's what you do your whole life. And the better organized you are, the more powerful your teams operate, the better things flow. And, and this is a God-like thing. When God created the world, he created it with an order. He created it such that certain things impact other things. And if we learn the order, we can make that impact even for the better. We can perfect the creation by working with it. The order of human actions, the order of human motivations, the order of, of human understanding as you delegate tasks, the order of how you create a culture. This is the thing where business excels and where business contributes positively to the great greatness of this world. And St. Paul didn't hesitate and blink an eye at it. I mean, when he sets up his communities, what does he do? He appoints someone as a bishop. And then he appoints helpers to the bishop. I mean, well, what is that except organizational strength? He, he puts a code of law out there. He motivates the people properly. He encourages them. He rebukes them. He corrects them. He instructs them at great lengths. Paul is an organizational genius. He founded the church in all of those cities, all throughout the Greece. It was because he knew how to build on the laws that exist in nature and bring them to perfection. And this is what every single one who's in the professions does. 
You look at steel and you know how to work with it. You know what clay is, you know how to fire it. You know when you're working with food, you know how to cook it and prepare it. And if you can do that better and better and better, well, if you're working as a team leader, you know how to move people. If you're working in marketing, you know how to make them buy, etc. Well, based upon that law and using that intelligence, we who are in business have the vocation of making the world a better place, a more affordable place, a cleaner place, etc. Like this is, but the point is that my friends, that's where we give glory to God, but that's not the point of our life. The point of your life is not what you do. The point of your life is who you are and to whom you belong. And that's shaped by the doing and that's shaped through the doing and not without the doing, but it's not, the doing is not the point. In fact, we should bless God for being, you know, if you're an entrepreneur and you're doing a startup, you should bless him for all the hardship. It, that hardship's going to make you a better person. It's going to make you a more devout Christian. It certainly can anyway. And, and this is what St. Paul teaches us. But where St. Paul deviates from that logic is to say there is something more important than the economy and there's a lot of things more important than your work. I mean, sometimes I meet business folks who are at the end of their rope because of the failure that's in front of them. And I can understand that stress. I can understand that infinitely. All of us can. We're full of compassion. We want to carry that cross with you. It's a terrible thing to fail. But it's not final. It's like that great quote from Winston Churchill. Success is not final. Failure is not fatal. It is the courage to continue that counts. Well, that courage to continue is what St. Paul shows us as he pushes through even the failures that befall him and the challenges that befall because he's living for something greater. He's even going to go to his end of the Acts of the Apostles and he's going to go to his, his end knowing that he's going to be put to death and he goes there willingly because this world does not matter to St. Paul as if it was anything more than an occasion to incarnate love. And when we get our, ourselves all mixed up and we go after that second bass boat and that third car and our fourth house, folks, you just got to say to yourself, like, where is it exactly that Christianity is being shown in your life? It's not bad to have these things, but you cannot let them have you. And that's where St. Paul's understanding of the economy corrects the world of work. His preaching and his life embracing the truth of works perfects it by pointing it to its ultimate end. We work as instruments of God and we labor to make his glory known on the earth. Dare great things for Christ. Share your feedback with Father Nathan. Send us an email at info at stjohninstitute.org. That's info at stjohninstitute.org. And don't forget to subscribe to premium video content to form, unite, and inspire you at Eagle Eye Pro on our website, eagleeyeministries.org. That's eagleeyeministries.org.